Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. We are recording. I've tried to go vote early and have met with the crowds every time, and I didn't do the mail ballot thing. So I think I'm just going to wait and vote like normal on election day, and I'm wondering now, you know, there'll be nobody there on election day. It'll be crickets. To me, though, that's taking a chance because it's a Tuesday, and Tuesdays are rough for us in the newspaper industry. So I I think my plan is I'm going to try to vote tomorrow. If it's still crowded tomorrow, then I'm going to pick either Saturday or Sunday and I'm going to go and I'm going to wait in line and just get it, get it done and get it over. I want to, I want to have voted. I want to be past tense. True. True. I went on Tuesday night at Windmill Village in um, East Hampton. It was really, really quick Yeah. and kind of fun actually, because um, there was probably only about 10 people in line when I got there. It was like seven o'clock at night, but it's kind of cool at Windmill Village because, um, you had to park in one parking lot and then walk down a wooded trail, um, kind of circle through the woods to get to the actual building where you vote. And I just thought, you know, me being the Halloween thing, I just thought, wouldn't it be great if they had like all these people dressed up in masks of pre- past presidents, like popping up <laughs> behind the fence, like a little spook trail of former presidents and maybe a little fake Hooverville out in the woods with a campfire going and a bunch of people roasting hot dogs. <laughs> That's the way voting should be. I have to say, it was like, I mean, we were walking with another group of people and everybody was really upbeat. I mean, it was actually, I don't know, we didn't see it as a chore. It felt like, I mean, maybe it's because we've been stuck inside for eight months or whatever. It just felt um, festive in a way. I read something the other day. The secret ballot is a fairly recent development. Voting day used to be everybody gets together and voice votes, essentially for things and it was a day of drinking and celebrating and and all of that it sounds like the Iowa caucuses yeah it it was it was more like that the the private ballot uh the secret ballot actually came in i think in the late 1800s sometimes it was it was uh much later than i realized so today we're obviously talking about voting and sitting in with us today is bill sutton who is doing the recording hey bill Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And Catherine Manu here. Hi, Catherine. <laughs> hey, Annette. I'm Catherine Manu, sometimes known as Georgie, and I am the publisher of the Express News Group. And we have Brendan O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan. I'm Brendan O'Reilly. I'm the features editor. And Joe Shaw, who is, I won't say what Joe's doing because I don't want to get him in trouble. <laughs> Actually, it would be kind of fun because Dana listens to the podcast find out that way. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor. And what are you actually doing so everybody understands? So I bought a 24 spice rack and decided it wasn't enough. So I bought a 36 spice rack and I have a friend I'm going to give the 24 spice rack to, but now I'm frantically trying to replace all the spices because the jars aren't the same. And I'm trying to replace them before Dana comes home and yells at me for buying another spice rack. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a very exciting life I lead, but this is, I live in fear. Okay. Well, there you go. 
And my name is Annette Hinkle, and I am the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And sitting in with us this week as a special guest is our reporter, Michael Wright. So you want to say hey, Mike? Hi, I'm Michael Wright. I'm a reporter at the East Hampton Press and Southampton Press. I call you our senior staff writer. Nice way of calling me old. Mike's been the one like going out and doing the voting story, so that's why we have Mike in here today. I actually saw a commercial last night by one of the PACs that seemed to be actually threatening people with the idea that if they didn't vote, their friends and family were going to find out. Because it said, you know, how you vote is secret, but your voting record can be looked up by your friends and family. It's, it actually said that as though anybody would do that. But that is true. <laughs> you can find out if somebody has voted in an election. But that is like totally trying to bully people into voting. And, and I think maybe we should. Hmm. Interesting. Wow, you're harsh. Hey. We're planning on trying to go to vote tomorrow, um, Gavin and I. Um, and I'm, I'm a little flummoxed by the location choice of, you know, where you can vote early in East Hampton. Like Annette said, she was like trudging through the woods to get to this voting location. There's no, you know, le legitimate parking. It just seems like it's a really out of the way kind of small space to choose as East Hampton early voting location. Yeah, it's a really tiny room. Those pictures of Michael's, it's so crowded in there. Yeah. Well, it's kind of cool. Like they have about five of the little stations outside under the, on the porch. So you can actually, you actually, like half of the people are voting on the porch outside in the back. I saw kind of that. Interesting. They had me at a little table. Like it was so crowded when I got, when I got inside that they had like a round table with these like cardboard dividers. Right, yeah, Heller had a picture of that. It's just like little yeah. paper boxes. <laughs> What's yeah. that? Why I guess bother? I just don't understand with so many other like potential locations that are larger, why that would have been the selected place. Did, did we ever hear anything about that? Nobody's using the high school gymnasium. Right. Right. I don't know. I wondered if it was because it was more central, you know, like East Hampton High School, for example, is pretty far west in East Hampton town. Like if you're coming from Montauk, maybe they felt that the the windmill project in Springs was more of a just like in the old days where the state capitals usually were in the middle of the state. So it was fair for everybody. Definitely less than one mile from Windmill Village to the high school. Oh, uh, I don't know. I think it's more than that. Maybe, maybe on the roads, but in a straight line. Yeah, yeah, but if you're coming from Montauk, wouldn't you rather just go there than? I don't see it as some huge time saver, to be honest with you, as somebody who lives in Springs and you know drives through East Hampton a lot. Now, especially <laughs> since you drive by it the first time. If, if you're from Montauk, you have no idea where Windmill Village is. I have not voted yet. I'm voting on election day. And you haven't voted yet? What's going on? I may try tomorrow, but if the weather's and that would be Friday, the weather's. I think supposed to be worse tomorrow than it is today. So uh, I may just wait till election day. Honestly, I've never waited in line. But the hours are better on tomorrow on Friday because it's noon to 8 p.m. So it, you may have, it may be a little different in the evening. I don't know. Let's not bury the lead that what's amazing is the turnout for early voting has been just phenomenal. And, and I wonder if it exceeded what the county was expecting in a presidential race. I just wonder if this is more than they were expecting or not. I think we've nationally, we've reached something like 50% of all the votes cast 
in the 2016 election already, which is, which is amazing when you think about it. But you also have to wonder why for so many years we were so committed to voting on one day only. Doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm not sure it should stretch out too much longer than we do it here, but uh, there are some downsides to stretching the vote out a little longer. Like what? Well, uh, it leaves open the, the possibility that, I mean, I saw one of the memes going around in the conservative community is that since Joe Biden made his comment about the oil industry, there are folks in Pennsylvania and Texas and other oil states uh, these, that Google has said the search for how do I change my vote, my early vote has gone up. Um, I would say most times you're not going to see people changing their votes by something that happens in the last couple of weeks before an election. But I think Hillary Clinton also might have a, a dis different p opinion on that. Um, I think that was a race that changed significantly towards the end. I, I just think, I think it's an interesting conversation about how early you should vote and whether or not you should have the opportunity to change your vote. But Mike, I, I was intrigued by something that you wrote uh, when we did the sort of questions and answers about voting, that if you cast a, an absentee ballot, a mail ballot, um, in the last couple of weeks, and you change your mind, you can go to the polls and vote the other way, and your vote in person will cancel out your mail ballot. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. That was really fascinating. I, I did not know that was even an option. I, I, I was surprised at that too, frankly. But it tells you that there's a system in place that's a pretty good system for keeping track of who's voted and who hasn't. Well, does it work? Allegedly. <laughs> Hopefully. If your vote gets there at all. So, so, Mike, what were some of the problems that people shared or questions or concerns? Yeah, well, mostly it was related to absentee ballots and, and knowing whether your ballot has counted. There were a lot of people asking how how late can you request an absentee ballot? Is it too late? Which um, officially, as of yesterday, it is too late for you to mail them an application and expect to get an absentee ballot in time to be able to cast it uh, by election day. Did it used to be in New York that you had to have a more legit reason for an absentee ballot, like you actually had to not be in the state or in your hometown or something like that, but that's been loosened this year. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Just for, just for the, for the COVID they, they loosened it to, you can ask for an absentee ballot simply because you don't feel like going to the polls uh, for fear of illness. I forget what the term they actually used is, but but yes, and, and I think it's a one-time thing. I, I don't, I don't, it's a governor's order. Uh, I don't believe that that is a, an actual policy change, but this year they added one thing to the list of excuses that you can have to request an absentee ballot, which is, you know, effectively just mail-in balloting. It's different than other states who actually have mail ballots. Do we have a sense, like, how many New York City residents may have um, switched their about their uh, registration from the city to out here and are choosing to vote as East End residents instead of uh, Manhattan or city residents? Certainly some did. Didn't leap in huge steps this year. Um, there were, you know, there, there's been a lot of new voters registered. Um, Democrats have, have dominated that primarily, but uh, 
certainly plenty of people did do that and are perfectly able to do that. There's no way to know uh, exactly how many people that registered out here were people dropping registration someplace else. I wonder if the, the turnout that they've gotten for the early voting might make the county take a closer look and maybe the state in general take a closer look at the future at the infrastructure for the early voting and um, it seems to be a very popular option and uh, whether that's just cause of COVID uh, is open for discussion I think but I, I wonder if maybe there'll be a conversation after the election about making this the, the way we do this now and, and creating more infrastructure to allow for it. We should, right? I mean, I mean, we should make voting, they should make voting as easy as possible for as many people as possible in whatever way that they can. I mean, I always thought it was kind of silly that it was restricted to one day. People who worked long hours on those Tuesdays perhaps couldn't go vote. People with young children, people with, you know, other family obligations. And it was your one shot, one day to cast a vote. I really liked the, you know, having an option of what day am I going to go? I think if they can, you know, figure out in years to come how to make the lines a little shorter. And I want, again, I wonder how much of that is COVID and how much of that is poor planning or poor infrastructure or whatever, but we should make it as easy as, as you can and to vote. I think, unfortunately, you have elect some elected officials whose goal is to not make it as easy as it can yeah. and put in as many obstacles as they can. And you would think that having as many citizens as possible exercise their right to vote would be a goal. But unfortunately, I don't think it's a universal goal. Maybe that's just my cynical self-speaking, but I don't know. Any thoughts on that? So here's my question. That may be true among politicians. Do you think that's true among voters? Depends on whether your candidate's winning or not. <laughs> well, I mean, I wonder if, if voters don't universally support making it easier to vote. I think you're absolutely right that there are politicians that for various demographic reasons in their districts might not be a fan of easy voting. I think we've seen examples of when they've tried to make it hard. But I think voters themselves are big fans of being able to vote whatever easiest way possible is. That would depend too, because there's just a lot of people out there that have been doing it that way for their whole lives and change is hard sometimes and they just like to buck, you know, at any change. That's the way we've always done it. That's the way we should always do it type thing. So Mike, what was your impression when you went to the early voting places? Were you impressed by the lines that they had? Uh, yeah, I mean, I went by on Monday and it was a long line, even though <laughs> I was going. I was going to vote and hadn't realized that actually the poll closed at three, not four. <laughs> and so when I got there at 3.45, there were still people online, quite a, quite a long line, not, not super long, but um, you, know, you are allowed to vote as long as you're online by the time the polling place is supposed to have closed. So there were probably 75 people or so, I would say still online at the college, at Southampton College, and uh, uh, and they were all gonna still get to cast their votes. And, and, and the lines do move fast, because I went by, I left, I talked to a couple of people, and then I left, and I went back by about 15 minutes later, and like they were locking the doors and the polling place workers were leaving already. 
snug. I wasn't sure how it was going to work when I went, but it is kind of, you know, interesting because you can go to any of the was it nine or 10 polling places throughout Suffolk County. Um, doesn't matter. You don't have to go in your own home district. They give you your, uh, your ballot based on your election district. So they must have a lot of ballots that they have to sort through in order to make sure you get the right one. But it's kind of a cool process. Well, that was the number one thing that I wanted to see the, the logistics of because, uh, you know, I wrote in the story, well, you can vote at any of these. And then they sent me a copy of the ballot. And there's like 20 different ballots out there because, you know, there's town races like Southampton has its own race. Um, in fact, the only two municipalities that have the same ballot are Brookhaven Town and East Hampton Town, because they have the same state le- state race and no town race at all. Yeah, it's interesting. So when you check in, they'll give you a little slip of paper with your name and your election district. And then you go to a separate table and they call up your district. And if you have that number, then that's the ballot that they give you. I was wondering how they would do that. but Yeah, they must have a ton of ballots there. That's what I'm thinking, because, um, you know, you can go anywhere. So it also seemed like, from what I'm reading, a big change this year is the number of young people who are voting. I know that, you know, my daughter's down in South Carolina at school, and her and her friends are all about it. This is her very first election. I just wondered, Mike, have you heard much about, or any of us heard a, a much about younger people getting into the, the swing of uh, voting this year? I'll say this. On Monday afternoon when I went there, nobody on that line was under the age of 50. <laughs> I was by far I was by far the youngest person in the crowd. Well, of course, a lot of the younger voters are going to be off at college or doing their, you know what I mean? Even if they're stuck in their room. Um, most of the kids I know are probably voting absentee just because they're um, not around and not here. Well, and you kind of, you, you really hope that that narrative is true. Um, you know, we've always talked about after every election that there is this voting block of youth that just don't have their voices heard you know, whether that's laziness or just a lack of knowledge or whatever, it's such a waste (laughs) to lose that voice. I don't know about you guys, but when I turned 18, I was pumped for my first vote, you know, whether it was a town vote or a presidential vote, but I get that that's not the way that everybody feels. Reading a little bit about this, and I feel like in the last few years, the things that have come down the pike have sort of motivated kids. I think a lot, like um, the Parklands shooting, I watched a documentary that the Hamptons Film Festival screened, really interesting, and it followed the Parkland kids. And it almost seemed, you know, in a way, I feel like those kids sort of single-handedly kind of brought about the, the beginning of that movement. And then, of course, you had the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of social justice things, I think, have been some of the issues that have gotten that younger vote motivated. You know, and haven't we seen that during times of turmoil in our nation's history, you know, whether it was like the Vietnam War, you know, and that kind of spurring a younger generation, um, you know, to pick their leaders. Um, So maybe you're seeing the same thing happen right now. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Quartararo. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. I have an 
anecdote that you can edit out of this after I look up whether the statute of limitations would land me in prison. For it. <laughs> I actually cast two ballots in the 1992 presidential election. How did you do that? How did you manage that? Won my absentee ballot from New York, which I requested. And the second was at a little polling place in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where me and three friends had gone with another friend of ours where he was going to vote. And we were all just, you know, like college dudes. We all sort of hang around with each other. And he got online and they handed him his polling place thing. And it was just the machines like we used to use here in Suffolk County. And we all just kind of kept standing together. And the next thing you knew, we were all online in front of a voting machine. And all four of us walked <laughs> walked into the booth and cast ballots, even though three of us were from different states. Uh, how long ago was that? That was in 1992, so 28 years. Hopefully it's like a 25-year statute of limitations on felonies. <laughs> so no part of their process like involved asking you who you are, where do you live? No, no they asked him. They asked the one guy who lives in the district. He gave them his name. And she said, go right ahead. And it was just, you know, wow. two little old ladies at a folding table in a high school gym in Iowa. And nobody, nobody thought twice of his three buddies, you know, one of them wearing a New York Giants hat who just stood next to him and then went into the booth and voted too. So what do we take away from that anecdote? That it does, that voter fraud does happen. There's no evidence <laughs> of voter fraud. Seriously, I wonder if that isn't one takeaway here is that I don't think you could conceivably do what you just described today no of course not that would never ever happen now 1992 was an innocent time i mean we were even talking about it um with our reporter kitty merrill who voted either today or yesterday but she was saying you know she was kind of anxious because as we've referenced the place you can do early voting in east hampton is relatively small and she like kind of like scribbled her name and she was like my name is definitely like her signature will not match her old signature because she was kind of panicked in this moment and um we were joking half joking with her that you know if there's a recount her ballot's gonna get tossed you know here's the other thing is what they have you sign is like is like that pad with that fake pen. Like no, like your signature looks like a two-year-old. It's like no way they can signature match based on you writing your name on that tablet. I'm sorry, there's just no way. Well, I still have to sign the book. Don't you sign the book? No, not not early voting. They have you sign. They had me sign like an iPad. An iPad. Yeah, it's all electronic now. The um the the board of elections folks, I asked them about that actually, and and one of the things that they said was that. The, the case law on that, and it, a lot has been made of that, and people have had their ballots thrown out uh, because of it, but the case law on it is very specific that you have to sort of side with the voter signatures matching if there's any, it's not, you're not supposed to be looking for things to be wrong, you're supposed to be looking for anything that is, that matches and the, the way that you do things, like the crossing of a T or the dotting of an I. Oh. Yeah, no, sig signature challenges, and Kitty talked about that in the village election, signature challenges are a real thing. And um, what the, the person at the BOE that I talked to said um, that when they're brought up outside of the, the oversight of the BOE itself, they're almost 
universally misapplied. And this is also the point where I feel like it's public service to say there has never been a study that has found anything resembling widespread voter fraud. Um, I, the, the one study that's pointed to very frequently found something like um, the number is, uh, it's, oh, it's 2,000 uh, instances of voter fraud, but context is everything. It was something like a 40-year study, and it involved every single vote held all the way down to school board elections that included challenges. If you go through and they had each of the incidents of, of alleged fraud, some of them involved school board candidates. As a matter of fact, a lot of them involved school board candidates. And it just is a rounding error of, of something to be concerned about. It just is not. I don't know. Did they look at Iowa? Yeah. Iowa 1992, that's all you have to say. <laughs> well, Mike Wright's name wasn't on there. There would be no evidence of that voter fraud at all because my name was not jotted down anywhere. So Bill Clinton wants to thank you for getting elected <laughs> that year. You've, al you've already turned state evidence right there. <laughs> so speaking of like questionable votes, my very first vote was for third party candidate. I was 18 and I did not pick one of the two major candidates. I was a rebel. You're a rebel. <laughs> Talk about futile voting. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was kind of funny. I remember Dana voted for Ralph Nader one year and I just, I was just aghast that she, that she did that just because I, look, I'm not a huge fan of the two party system myself, but there, there are, I just, and, and Hey, you should vote for whoever you want to vote for. And certainly she did, but I just could not fathom. It just felt like a waste of a vote. It really did. But that was 2000 and it was in New York and it didn't matter because Gore was going to win New York. That's the other thing that's so, you know, so maddening is with the, the way the electoral college is. It's like there are certain states where it doesn't matter really who you vote for if you're in a state that's overwhelmingly going to go for a specific candidate. This is an interesting conversation because I have to tell you, I, you know, I, I, I actually, to some degree, will defend the use of the electoral college in that I think there is a, there's a reasoning behind having uh, the ability, I think if you do away with some type of a, of a, of a voting process where the different states have, have a role in it like that, you will just have candidates who will just cater to the, to the two, you know, the four or five biggest states, which are on the coasts in Texas and Florida. And, and I think a lot of the flyover states will end up being, uh, they'll be, become marginalized in the process. I, I don't know that the electoral colleges is the, is the way forward to continue protecting that, but I do think there is something to protect there. Maybe, but now it's exactly the opposite. When was the last time a presidential candidate bothered coming to New York other than to raise tons of money, which is the only reason they come here. It's like, it's only about money and they go to the flyover states for the rest of it. And the other thing is too, when you have an administration that tries to cut short the census count specifically so they can change the number of electoral votes you have, it doesn't make that system particularly fair either. There's also the argument on the other side of the electoral college vote that says, if there are 6 million people in this state and 1 million in this other state, you know, there are still 6 million votes in that state. Those are individual votes that should matter. 
And when we've had a couple of elections in recent years where the popular vote goes one way and the electoral college goes the other, something is not quite right because that means that the majority of votes are not going to the winning candidate. And, and while I, you know, I, I don't have, I won't pretend to have the answer to all this, but I, but I do think it's not as simple as just uh, going to a popular vote. I, I, I feel like, I don't know how you can have a hybrid that works, but there's got to be a hybrid system that works where you have to win states, but you have to win the popular vote too. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the answer to all that, but, but I do think the, the system as it is, is, is really antiquated and probably one we should take a closer look at. Time for another Continental Congress, huh? Meet you in Philadelphia. I'm intrigued by the way we vote too, that, that in, in this area that you still, we still have the black out the ovals uh, system when um, some, of the, some of the districts do have mechanical voting machines, don't they? Not anymore. And none of them here do? So, not anymore. They might use them for school board elections, but not use them for the November elections. Oh, okay. Because I know I have voted on a physical, a physical machine too, where you pull the little levers down and then shik, shik. I love those. That was very visceral. That really made you feel like you would cast your ballot. It did. I don't trust that scanner machine at all. Scanner machines make me a little nervous too. Totally. If you'll recall, um, during the primaries in Pennsylvania, there was that there was that issue where somebody hacked the machines, or the machines crashed, and they lost a bunch of a bunch of votes, and they have no paper backup. Whereas in New York State, we have all those paper ballots saved, and they can be canvassed. In fact, the Board of Education Board of Elections does do a certain amount of random canvassing of all votes uh, just to make sure that they match what the machines said. This was the big issue when the Americans with Disabilities Act came around. That's when we got rid of the lever machines. And New York, I think, was the last state to comply with that law because other states were happily jumping into computerized voting and New York did not want to have anything to do with that. They didn't want a system where your vote would leave the room, so to speak, and be zapped to a mainframe or a computer anywhere. I mean, at that point, there was all sorts of fear that, that you could have a, a giant corporation that could manipulate your vote on the other end because you didn't know where your vote was going. So that's why- Or a country. It, or a country. Well, that, I don't even think anybody was thinking country back then. This was before, this is back in the, the good old naive days of you know any kind of uh, devious behavior is going to come from within our own country. You know, now we know that it's much beyond that. But that was always the thing with New York is, and, and wisely, they didn't want, they wanted that whatever system New York used, even if it was just the scanners, that your vote doesn't really leave that room. You know, it's not, it's not electronically transmitted by those machines. Those machines, at the end of the night, they open them up and they, you know, they can't get everything right out of the machines and then they report those numbers. So it's not like there's a, a, a computer interference with that. Now, are those numbers reported like by phone or do they have to physically deliver something these days? I think in the days of the, uh, the, the lever voting machines, you actually got some type of a, a printout or something or like a paper that had to be provided to a central location. I think however they transmit them, they just don't have it in a situation where the machine itself um, transmits those. 
but I think they, they called him in by phone for for the preliminary results. I mean, the, the board of elections, the numbers that that they would that they would give out at, at eleven o'clock at night on election night, those had all been phoned in. I because I remember there were I remember covering elections where there were delays. Um, and the delays were that the you know the phone calls weren't coming in from the different districts. Yeah, I think that's true. And this is obviously going to be an odd election night because we really won't know who won. Uh, most likely, we're not going to know much of anything for certain on election night because there are so many absentee ballots and mail ballots, not just here, but across the country. Uh, that's going to be a, it's going to be a source of stress. I think we're used to having answers at least to a certain degree on election night. And this is going to be the first time in a long time where that won't be true, but this is obviously an unusual election with the, the, the uh, virus playing a big role in it. So I hope everybody can stay calm and, and be patient and, and, you know, so we get this right. I mean, I think that's what matters. And and when you put COVID in with that too, it just doesn't it doesn't make it any easier. You know, in, in March, April, May, when we were in the height of COVID and thinking, how are they gonna have an election? We're just, you know, are they gonna put it off? Are they gonna delay? What are they gonna do? And here we are. I mean, we've moved forward and I think that's a testament to the strength of this country and the people in this country, but it certainly just adds to the stress. And and I think, you know, people wanna be safe voting and you know, you don't wanna be a spreader and and all that and the absentee ballots and and that just really contributes a lot to that stress. So what's everybody doing on election night? Hiding my head under the blankets. Yeah. Nice. Anybody can top that? <laughs> I'll be streaming it. Oh, really? You'll be streaming it? So maybe we all just need to go to Joe's house on election night and he can whip out some of those spices. The one with the anchos. We'll have like a big pot of chili. There you go. I have to tell you, the message that I feel like everybody needs to get is this country on November 4th is going to be exactly the same country as it was on November 2nd. I don't think an election is going to change much of anything. Uh, no matter what your politics are, we, we are what we are right now and we are divided. And I, no matter how this election goes, uh, we got a lot of work to do. To, to repair the damage that, that is out there. Uh, we are an intensely divided country. And I think we've really fallen, we, we've fallen into the trap of, of putting politics ahead of everything. I think politics has become a spectator sport now. And I think people, it's funny because I see the same attitudes uh, that I see for people following sports teams. You know, it's, it's, it, does, it goes beyond logic and it goes, you know, try and talk me out of being a Steeler fan. You know, you're not going to talk me out of being a Steeler fan and nothing you say. Well, not this year anyway. And no, <laughs> certainly not this year. But, but nothing you no, – no logic is going to change my mind on that. And I feel like that's sort of the way we're approaching politics anymore is there, there is no conversations taking place. It's just who can cheer the team the loudest. And, and uh, that's just no way to do this. So this, this country has always been an experiment in compromise – and we have really lost that. And, and I, I hope that we'll start to see uh, some changes uh, in that direction, regardless of the outcome of the election across the board. I think we need to start finding some middle ground. But we say that every year uh, when, there's a, when there's a tough election. I'm not sure it's ever happened. And it seems like it's only gotten progressively worse. It means your votes matter. It really does. Uh, 
All right, go vote, you guys. And then go to Joe's house for chili. My hands now smell like every spice I own. And it's lovely. It really is. It's kind of a curry kind of a smell. Well, aromatherapy. Yeah. And I, and I finished the job without Dana coming home and seeing me. What I didn't explain was she's never going to notice the larger spice rack. That's my point. If I could get that switch made before she came home, she'll never even notice the switch. I think, we've, I think our work is done here. Maybe even put some patriotic music in the background or something. I don't think we have rights to patriotic music. Music's really hard. Let's, I guess we could just hum the Spar Spangled Banner. Uh, go vote, please. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.